Amen. How you feeling today, Hill Church family? You feeling good? You looking good? I give, I'm, I'm bringing love, blessings, and greetings all the way from Harlem, New York. Where my New York people at? Where my New York people at? I see a couple. I see, I see, I see all three of us. Um, um, I'm not a Giants fan, so you guys can cheer for me. Okay. All right. Just want to make sure we're good today. Um, before I start, I want to give a shout out to all the campuses tuning in. I want to give a shout out to the West Fort Worth, South Lake, North Richland Hills. Of course, those tuning in online, and it took me all week to remember all of that. So, so you guys could give God praise for that. Um, you could have been anywhere today, but we're glad you're here with us. You could have been attending Bedside Baptist, but you're here because I believe God uh, wants to deposit something supernatural into your spirit today. I believe what God is stirring in this church is a vision that's so much bigger than this church, but that's going to impact nations and generations to come. And so today uh, we're believing God for big things. I believe God is going to do something dangerous. I believe God is going to do something dangerous in this place. I, I believe God is going to deposit something in your spirit that can move mountains. I believe God is going to deposit something in your spirit that can change cities. I believe God is going to deposit something in your, in your spirit that's going to transform nations and help me and generations. Amen. Y'all give God some praise. Amen. But before we do that, I want to take a second and um, honor your pastor. Is that all right? Now, we live in a generation that doesn't do honor well. We don't. We know how to call out bad leaders, don't we? Oh, we could drag some bad leaders on Twitter. We could, we, we, we could call out some bad presidents, bad politicians. We, we know how to call out bad pastors. We know how to complain about bad leaders. But we, we struggle to celebrate good ones. And here's what my Bible says. My Bible says that elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. And let me just tell you this. You know this already, but I just got to remind you, because sometimes we need to be reminded, don't we? You guys have one of the most courageous, prophetic, and anointed pastors out there. I, the, the Lord ceases to amaze me. At the, at, the, at the prophetic courage that your pastor leads with. And so can we just take a moment? Because the Bible says we need to give double honor to leaders who are worthy of it. So can we just take a moment to celebrate the shepherd of this house and the God who blessed you with him? Amen. You can do better than that. Oh, come on. Oh, you're going to be sitting in front of your TV cheering loud in a little while. You can do a little bit better than that for the blessing that God has given this church. Amen. Amen. Well, listen. Well, listen. I'm glad we got the energy because I'm a chocolate preacher, which means I always have more to say than I have time to say it. And so I, I, I'm just praying that, that, that the Lord allows me to get all of this out that he put in me. Um, so with that being said, your leaders have done an incredible job of making me feel at home. Do you want to make me feel at home? You want me to feel at home? Okay. Well, here's what I ask. If you're physically able, can you please stand with me out of reverence for God's word? Um, I, I, I do this in my home church, and it's just a, a tangible reminder for us as the people of God that we sit under the word of God. And so, and so it's, just, it's just to honor his word. I'm in Matthew 9. I'm going to start at verse 35, and let's hear what God has for us today. The Bible reads, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And healing every disease and sickness. 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Will you bow with me as we ask God to bless this word? Father, we're asking your blessing because we need it. Father, in order for us to move in a faith that moves mountains and transforms cities and believes you for nations and generations, God, we're going to need you. We're going to need your spirit to show up and show out in a way that he hasn't before. We're going to need you to do something supernatural, God, something transformative, something um, that, that we haven't seen you done before. And so, God, we're, we're, we're not asking for the same old, same old. We don't want to just have another Sunday in church. We don't want to just hear another sermon we're not going to apply. We don't, we don't want to sing more songs we don't believe. No, 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 God, we want a new thing. We want you to do something new in this earth. We want you to do something new in this generation. We want you to do something new in this church. And so, God, we are calling on you to send your spirit down and get this dust of a man out the way so your people can see you. And I put it, the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart are acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength and our redeemer. Oh, agree with that said? Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Guys look amazing. So much has happened in our world since the last time I came and shared God's word with you. Was anybody here the last time I came and shared God's word? Amen, amen. Well, you're still here, so that's a blessing because I was sure the church was gonna go in another direction after I preached. So much has happened since the last time God flew me out here to share God's word with you. Um, We've lived through a global pandemic, political turmoil, racial tension, church scandals, the Knicks making the playoffs. (laughs) Uh, You see, you know, every service ain't going to be laughing at my Knicks now. (laughs) All right? All right? I love y'all, but y'all ain't going to be laughing at my Knicks. (laughs) Listen, last time I was out here, I was crying about Porzingis, but now y'all crying about Porzingis. (laughs) Joke's on you. (laughs) So much has changed in our world. Um... Some of us have had to adjust to living without that loved one. Some of us have had to change our lifestyle. Some have had to downsize our homes. Some have had to spend less and save more. Some have had to close our businesses. Some have had to file for unemployment. In fact, if you could summarize the last two years with one word, that one word would simply be change. Change. But do you know what God sent me to encourage you with today? Even though everything in your world has changed the last two years, do you know what hasn't? Scratch that. Who hasn't? God. God hasn't changed. The psalmist says, you are always the same. You will live forever. The writer of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Everything around us has changed. But the good news of the gospel today is God has not. And because God has not changed, you can believe him for change in every area of your life. Because God has not changed, it means that the local church is still the bride of Christ. It means that the gospel is still the power of God for salvation of all who believe. It means that the cross still saves, that hell is still hot, and the tomb is still empty. 
And it means that the one who sits on the throne still says, behold, I am making all things new. See, when Pastor Rick told me about the five-year vision that God has spoken over the life of this church and how you're believing him for nations and generations in this season, God began to speak to me while I fasted to write this word. Um, now, for this question, I fast to write every sermon because I, I believe Jesus when he says that we, we don't live on bread alone, but on any, every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. And I believe that's not just the written word in, script, in scripture, but the proclaimed word, the preached word every Sunday. And so I try to fast because I don't ever want to be up here speaking my words. I want to speak his words. And so as I fasted, the Lord began to stir something in me. And, and what he, he, he took me to is he said, he said, go to the prophet Habakkuk and share this word with them. And so I, I want to share this word for you. And I want to speak this over this church. Here's what God said to me. He showed me the prophet Habakkuk and, and here's what he said. He said, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. And then I heard the Spirit say to me, tell the Hills Church that their vision for nations and generations has to begin with this nation and this generation. Because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so today, I want to talk to you about a God who doesn't have a harvest problem. He has a labor problem. I want to talk to you about a God who doesn't have a vision problem. He has a vessel problem. Which is why I titled today's sermon, The Harvest Needs Your Help. Oh, somebody turn to your neighbor and say, The Harvest Need your help. Can you make, can, I, can, I, can, I, can we have church today? I turn to the other neighbor and say the harvest needs your help. Give God some praise. All right. Which leads me to my first point. My first point today is the message of the harvest. Somebody say the message of the harvest. The Bible says in verse 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and all the villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, the first thing that jumped out to me from this passage was the scope of Jesus's message. It, 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 the Bible says that, that Jesus's message, this message of the harvest, took Jesus to every city and every village in Israel. Do you know what that means for us as the church today? It means that his message had movement. It means, it, it means that his words had legs. It, 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 means, it means that Jesus' message took him out of the seats and into the streets. It, it, it means that, that Jesus did something. His message moved him. It took Jesus to the hood and to the burbs. It took him to the fashion centers and the, and the, and the farmlands. It took him to the progressive cities and the conservative countrysides. You ready for this? I know you're going to, this one's going to bless you. This one's going to bless you. It took him to the red states and the blue states. See, Jesus' message took him to everyone. It took him to the red states in Israel. It took him to the blue states in Israel. It took, it took him to the people he agreed with. It took him to the people that he didn't. It took him to the people on this side of the issue. It took him to the people on the other side of the issue. His message took him everywhere. And this is important for us as a church because, because we live in a generation where, 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 where we don't know how to go. We, we, we don't know how to go to the other side. 
We, 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 don't, we, we, we don't know how to, we don't know how to go to that, to that group that we don't agree with. We don't, know how to, we don't know how to go to that place that we don't see eye to eye with. We don't know how to go to that person who votes differently than us or thinks differently than us. We don't know how to go to the other side. But here's what we need to understand today. We need to understand that, that Jesus' message takes us out of our comfort zone onto the other side. See, the point for us today is this. If we're going to see God do things that we're, do the things that we're believing him to do in the nations and the generations, in this nation and in this generation, then we're going to have to take seriously the universality of God's message. His message is for everyone. It's for the people that we think deserve it and for the people that we don't. But what I also need you to see about Jesus' message is how he chooses to spread it. Jesus had a strategy when he touched ground in a particular area, and his strategy wasn't just to set up a, a, a pulpit and go preach wherever he was. His strategy, according to the scripture, was that he, he went to the synagogues. He went to the synagogues first to spread his message. Now, much like the local church today, the, the Jewish synagogue at the time was the center of Jewish life and culture. It was where spiritual and social formation happened. It was where people were discipled, where they were brought into the promises of God, where they were taught the deliverance of God, where they heard about the God who parted the Red Sea and the God who, who, walked, with, who, who, who walked and met with Moses face to face as a man meets with his friend. They heard stories about a God who brought plagues on Egypt and about a God who, who delivered his people into the promise. They heard stories about a God who brought down walls in Jericho. Oh my God, they heard so many stories about this amazing God of deliverance and it was where they began to have their faith stirred and formed. But it's also a place during the times of Jesus that had lost this prophetic voice. What do I mean? During the times of Jesus, the synagogue had become increasingly, oof, this is ouch, politicized. It had become a place where prophets didn't have a voice, but Pharisees did. It had become a place where a prophet like John the Baptist has to literally have church in the wild. Somebody need to tell somebody that we've been having church in the wild. John the Baptist has to literally set up church in the wild and baptize Jesus in the wild. He set up church in the wild because there was no place in the established order, in a synagogue structure for a prophet of the Most High God. The synagogues have become a place where theological debates and, and political affiliations have replaced the call of the people of God to practical love. And despite all of this, Jesus still chose to sow the seed of his message there first. Oh, somebody need to praise God that Jesus has not given up on his church. Somebody needs to praise God that Jesus sticks, that Jesus stuck by some crooked sticks and that he believes that God is going to use, he's going to use some crooked sticks to make some straight paths. Somebody better praise God that he doesn't give up on us even when he probably should. Because as dysfunctional as these synagogues had become, Jesus didn't see institutional religion as unnecessary. He saw it as unfaithful. Don't miss that. See, we live in a culture where the approval rate of the church is at an all-time low. We live in a culture where people are leaving the church at record numbers. I live in a city in New York where people don't even act, you know, there was a time where in New York, people would at least respect what you believe. 
you know, New York is a secular city. It's a city that's pluralistic. So everybody's belief has its place and everybody can share what they believe. We just don't agree with you, but you can say you believe in Jesus and I don't, but that's fine. That, that, that's how New York was. You would at least have a place to share your beliefs as a Christian, a place to share your values, a place to share your views. But now the culture doesn't even care what the church has to say. They don't believe we have anything of value because they look at us and we preach grace, but then we practice judgment. And we preach love, but we, we, we practice hate. And we preach unity, and we're more divided than the world is. So the church, you know, you know, this is an ouch moment for us. The reality is culture really doesn't look to us because... We don't really have much to say. We've looked more like the House of Representatives than the household of faith. And much like the synagogues in Israel, we've mishandled the message of God. We've politicized it. We've racialized it. We've individualized it. And we've turned the gospel of the kingdom into the gospel of our castle. But Jesus' message wasn't just for a group of people from one ethnicity in one part of the world, but his message was a message that brought good news to every person. Somebody help me. In every part of the world. See, the gospel of the kingdom wasn't a triumphalistic message about Christians taking over the world. It was a transformative message about how God was becoming king in Jesus and how he was establishing a people that would preach good news to the poor meet the practical needs of the hurting, and set the oppressed free from systemic bondage. Which is why if anybody is wondering, and if you care enough to take notes today, what the message of Jesus was all about, here's what you can write down. Jesus' message is a message about salvation, liberation, and reconciliation in which he is at the center of it all. So what does that mean for us as Christians? Here's what it means. It means if you're a Christian today, your true citizenship isn't to the government that birthed you, but to the kingdom that rebirthed you. What it means today is if, if, if you're a Christian, it means that your true allegiance isn't first to a flag. It's first to a cross. And here's the hope that we have today. Despite all of the mess of the synagogue, Jesus still entrusted with his message. And the good news today is despite all the mess of the church, and we are a mess. I can say it because I'm one of us. I'm in it with you. We're a mess. But Jesus still entrusts us with his message. And somebody needs to praise God for grace because here's what he knows. He knows only he can get the glory out of using people like us. Which leads me to the second thing about the harvest that you need to know. Here's the second thing you need to know. You need to know that there's a ministry attached to the harvest. Somebody say the ministry of the harvest. Now, is it, now as important as preaching the message of the harvest is, it's critical to understand that the harvest doesn't come in preaching alone. Look at verse 35. The Bible says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and all the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and underline this and healing every disease and every affliction. Did you hear what the Bible just said? The Bible said Jesus preached and then Jesus practiced. 
that Jesus sowed and then Jesus watered. The Bible says that he taught them and he healed them. Do we understand today that the role of God's church is not just to teach, but it's also to reach? Do you understand today that the role of God's church is not just to talk about a God that heals, but to bring healing, transformation, and breakthrough into real people's life who struggle with real bondage, that this was not just some historical truth, that this is practical knowledge, that this is how God wants us to live. He wants us to preach, but he wants us to reach. Jesus wants us to have orthodoxy, but he wants us to have orthopraxy, that there is doctrine and then there's deliverance, and the church should do both. And the Holy Spirit began to convict me as I read this. Because as I read this, I realized that so much of the ministry of the church, so much of the ministry of my church, is about Sunday mornings. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 28 that, that the role of the church and the mission of the church was not just about a Sunday morning. That the mission of the church was to make, to make what? Somebody, y'all read your Bibles. See, don't get me wrong, what we're doing today is important, but it's incomplete. Because we don't even realize it, but we've replaced pursuing God's mission of making disciples with simply doing ministry on Sunday mornings. And do you realize that ministry isn't always mission? That, that you can do a lot of things by not necessarily be doing God's things. That you can expend a lot of energy, Martha, but miss the whole point of it all, to sit at the feet of Jesus. See, my spiritual mentor is a man named uh, Pastor Ken Hugey, and he, um, he gave a word at our church a few weeks ago at the gathering, um, and he said this about ministry, and it, it's going to be with me for the rest of my life. But he said this. He said, he said, ministry is simply the result of your pursuit of God. Do you realize today that every single one of you under the sound of my voice is in ministry? That ministry is not just what the people that stand on stage up here and preach do. That ministry is not just what the people that come up and sing do. That ministry is not the, the, the amazing people who, who, who are on staff at this church do. Ministry is not just what the incredible volunteers, can we give God some praise for the volunteers in this place, especially, especially the ones that be with our kids. Amen, somebody. I know, I know many of them are doing it for free. They're volunteering, but they still deserve a raise. Like, they just, and, 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 but, but, but ministry is not just that. That your ministry comes out of your pursuit of God. That as you pursue God, you get your ministry. So all of us have it. In other words, ministry comes from mission. But somehow we've created ministries geared at maintaining nets and not at catching fish. And let me help somebody. God hasn't called the church to the ministry of maintenance. God hasn't called the church to the ministry of making people happy. Not getting emails. Pastor Rick, amen. E emails. Please don't send Pastor Rick emails after this sermon. This is, the goal of the church is not, 
It's not to just make people happy, make people feel good, keep people going. Maintain it. Maintain the status quo. Maintain the people that are here. Don't let nobody leave. Don't let, that's the goal of the church. It's not maintenance. It's mission. God has not called this church to maintain what it is. He's called this church to lead a movement into where he wants to go. God hasn't called Pastor Rick to maintain a church. He's called him to build a kingdom. He hasn't called you to maintain a home. He's called you to lead one. You shouldn't just be thinking about the goal of you being in your home and leading your home is not just to pay the bills and keep the lights on. The goal is to leave a legacy. To leave a legacy that lives long beyond you. To leave a legacy that transforms your community. That's the goal. He hasn't called you to just make money. He's called you to invest in his mission. See, if we could just change the way we look at ministry today, then it would change the way we approach God's mission. Because there were signs, somebody say signs. There were signs, somebody say signs. There were signs that accompanied Jesus' ministry. People got delivered. People got healed. People got saved. People got set free when the gospel showed up in town. And likewise, our ministry should take us out of the boardroom and out of the building and onto the block. Amen, somebody. Amen for the block. Somebody say amen for the block. I'm from the block. Somebody say amen for the block, just for your boy. Amen for the block. This is why Jesus' message always had a ministry that accompanied him with signs. See, healing and deliverance were not just arbitrary displays of power. Jesus didn't simply heal people because he was nice and because he's love, and he is love. Jesus healed people not just because um, they asked him and, and, and he granted that their, their, their wish in faith. No, 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 no. Jesus healed, Jesus delivered, Jesus opened blind eyes, Jesus touched lame bodies, Jesus raised dead bodies, not just because Jesus was, was good and he's love, he raised it because they were signs of the world that he was creating. They were previews, they were trailers, just like you won't go see your favorite movie without first seeing the trailer. You can't see the kingdom of God without first seeing the, the move of God through the ministry of Jesus. So Jesus understood that he was going to call us to believe in a world that we had no context for. He was going to call us to believe in a world where there was no more death and there was no more grief and every tear would be wiped from our eyes and there was no more COVID and no more cancel and no more canceled and no more anything. That, 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 that all of the things that divide us would unify us, that every tribe, nation, and tongue would be worshiping the same king, casting their crowns at his feet and their, tri and their tongue and in their native language and that everybody would be dignified and everybody would be loved and everybody would be unified under the same cross. He knew that we had no context for that. And so what he said is, well, they don't understand a world where there's no death and no division. So I have to touch a dead body to show them that it's real. I have to open blind eyes to show them that it's real. I have to take people from red states and blue states and call them to be my disciples. And I have to build a team around me that couldn't even eat a meal together if I wasn't sitting at the table with them. Just a hot mess of who knows what. And he did all of that because, because he's, he's, not, he's not a genie in a bottle that just grants our wish. You can't just rub him three times and get whatever you want. 
that, that if we want God to move in a, in a realm of nations and generations, then we can't just ask for a miracle for miracle's sake. That, that Jesus' miracle power, his miraculous power, his healing and delivering ministry is it, 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 about what it points to. See, as much as God loves the nations and generations, here's the truth. He loves his glory more. He does. And that's a good thing. Do you understand? That's a, God is the only one who's big enough and good enough to be full of himself. <laughs> if I'm full of myself, duck, get out the way. But if God is full of himself, people get set free. Marriages get restored. Loved ones get healed. I mean, when God is full of himself, he said in Habakkuk that I'm going to create a world in the end where the entire world will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover this. Like, like God is going to fill the world with himself, and it's good. Let me help somebody today. If God is the highest good in the universe, then a bend to anybody's will but his own would be the worst thing for all of us. It is good that God loves himself more than the nations. And the reason why is because some of us need a reshift and a reframe on what we think faith is. See, many of us think of faith like my five-year-old son. We think that faith is just if I eat all my dinner, then I'll get my dessert. God, if I show up and come to church and I tithe and I pray and I give and I'm faithful in my home, then you're going to give me the blessing that I want. The Cowboys will win the Super Bowl. Faith don't work like that. <laughs> faith don't work like that in Jesus' name. Y'all still stuck with Porzingis. It don't work like that. It don't work like that. But that's thinking like a child. See, the Bible says when we were a child, we thought like a child, but then we become mature in faith. We put away childish things. And it's time for us as a church to start putting away childish faith, childish things. Jesus says, have faith like a child, but don't be childish. It's time to put away childish faith. This vision is for the people who are ready to sit at the spiritual adult table. That's how big this vision is. This vision is for the people who are tired of playing church and who are ready to see a move of the kingdom. This vision is not for the faint of heart. It's for the people in this house with faith. Is anybody in this house with faith? Is there any faith in this house? This vision is for the people who believe that despite the problems in this world, God isn't done with it. This vision is for the people who believe that this nation and this generation, with all of its flaws, is God's chosen nation and God's chosen generation to do a new thing in this earth. This, this vision is for the people who believe that COVID has canceled many things, but the church is not one of them. Oh my God, you're not making enough noise. This, this vision is for the people who believe that though God may rebuke us and though he may call us to repentance, the good news of the gospel is he hasn't replaced his church. He has still given you the ministry of reconciliation and he is still calling you out in the world to build the kingdom of God. And the reason why getting this right is so important is because as Jesus is preaching and healing, he takes a step back and looks at the people. And what he sees breaks his heart. See, in all of our fighting and bickering and debating, we've missed the people, the harvest. See, Jesus steps back 
And verse 36 says, when he saw the crowds, he saw the crowds. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because what he saw was people who were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the condition of the people and his heart broke with compassion. They were harassed and helpless like like sheep without a shepherd. And the question that God wants to ask you today is, when, when you look at this city, what do you see? What do you see? Do you see Fort Worth versus Dallas? Do you see nice part of town, poor part of town? Do you see safe and dangerous? When you look at this country, what do you see? You see red states and blue states, Republicans and Democrats. What do you see? When you look at the nations, what do you see? When Jesus looked, what he saw was the people. He saw people that were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And because Jesus saw that so clearly, he was able to sacrifice so selflessly. The size of your sacrifice will be determined by the depth of your sight. So if we're going to follow this Jesus, we must, have, we must have faith that matches our sight. Our heart must break for the things that breaks his. See, we have hope today not because Jesus had power. That's not why we have hope. There's a lot of people who have power, but they don't, they don't, they don't change much. I mean, every four years we vote in a new president, but power is never on the ballot. You realize that, right? Real power is never on, symbols of power are on the ballot. But there's only one source of real power. And we're Christians today, not just because Jesus has real power. We're Christians today because he used his real power to create real flourishing. And the question that I have for you today is not do you have power, because we all do. We all have some level of income, influence, people around us that we lead, that we pray for, that, that we can touch. We all have some kind of power, but the question is not do you have power. The question is who's flourishing because you have power. See, we flourish because Jesus has power. Who flourishes because you have power? That leads me to my third and final point, and I'm out your way. You can go home and watch the Cowboys, okay? Third and final point, the multiplication of the harvest. Somebody said the multiplication of the harvest. The Bible says after all of this, then Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus turns to his disciples and conversely to us, and he says, the harvest is large, but the labor force is few. Does anybody have more work than you have help? I mean, just anybody. You know that feeling, right? You ever had to move and you you wonder, where did did we get all this stuff from? We ain't got enough help. There's more work than there is help. And he says, that's what God's harvest is like. God has a lot of stuff he wants to move. Oh my God, he has a lot of stuff he wants to move in this earth. A lot of things he wants to do in this world. But, but, but he has so much stuff, but not enough support. And so he says, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly 
Why does he do that? Because he's challenging us to see ourselves as participants, not just as spectators. Why do grown men pay hundreds of dollars, paint their bodies silver and blue, go to AT&T Stadium and put a star on their head? I mean, first of all, because they need Jesus. I mean, that's, that's just the first, I mean... I love you. If you're here today, I love you. I'll pray for you after service. But secondly, because they know that they're never going to make a tackle and they're never going to throw a touchdown pass, but they still want to participate in the outcome of the game. And here's, here's the word of God for this house. Jesus is telling this church that he has a great victory out there. There's a great game. There's a great win to go achieve. And he's looking for people who are willing to paint their bodies and get on the field. People who are tired of being spectators and who are ready to be participants. Does God have any participants in this house today? Can you make a little bit more noise? Does God have any participants watching online? See, here's the truth. We can spectate at a sporting event, but we have to participate in a kingdom move. And Jesus says, if we get our message, our mission, our, and our ministry right, then the result of all three of those will always be multiplication. See, it's easy to look at all of the vision in this world and think to ourselves, there's no hope for kingdom multiplication. I mean, we are just so divided. We are divided about everything. We can't get on the same page about anything. It ain't just the culture, it's the church. We are, we are divided too. We, we can't get on the same page about this and on the same page about that. And it's easy to look at that and get discouraged. Has anybody gotten discouraged? It's easy to look at everything happening and just get discouraged. It's easy to look at all of that and think, there's no hope for kingdom unity. There's no hope for kingdom multiplication. But somebody's faith needs this today. Somebody needs to hear that God is a multiplying God. Our God is a God that multiplies. It's Satan that divides. Ooh, you missed that. Listen, I failed college algebra a couple of times. Y'all pray for me. Somebody's like, makes sense. Makes sense. I failed college algebra a couple of times. I'm far from a mathematician, but I never failed kingdom math. And what I know about kingdom math is Satan is the one that divides. God is the one that multiplies. And what, what we, well, maybe what we need to stop doing is stop fighting with people and start fighting with the source of the division. Maybe, maybe we need to start dealing with the one who divides. And not, mm, somebody help me, please. And now here's the, here's, here's the truth. I know when we hear a message like this, our faith gets stirred and we're ready to go do something. We're ready to go make a difference, and we should. But before you put all the pressure on yourself to save the world and then get overwhelmed a week into it, right, has that ever happened to you? You got stirred by the word of God and you was, I'm going to change this city. I'm going to change this company. This company is going to be different on Monday. And then you get in there and you get the first red tape and you get, and, 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 and you get bickering back and forth and you see division here and division there and you're like, you know what, forget this company. I'm, I'm moving on to another company. But, but before, you, before you get overwhelmed trying to save the world, here's, here's the reality. Here's the beauty of our king. God's harvest 
is not predicated on who we are. <laughs> it's predicated on who he is. The harvest doesn't depend on you. It depends on him. And that's good news today. See, there's a story in the Gospels that never ceases to encourage me. Jesus has been preaching all day. And then all of a sudden, it's getting late, and he turns to the crowd, and, and his disciples start coming to him, and they say, listen, listen, um, um, teacher, um, you know, it's, it's, getting, it's getting a little late, about 5,000 people out here. It's getting, I mean, Jesus, I know you ain't got your Apple Watch on, but it's, it's getting a little late. So, I mean, if you want to go ahead and just send, you know, the people out, you know, there's an in and out of the block, they can, they can, they can go catch it before, before it closes, Jesus. It's a little late, 5,000 people, Jesus. And Jesus looks at his, he looks at the disciples and says the last thing they expect to hear. You feed them. No, no see, you, you don't understand the words coming out of my mouth. I was, I was trying to tell you that it's getting late, that they could still get to the store. It's a little late. And so they start scrambling because they said, we got to, we, 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 we hey, what you got? Give, give me that. Give me that. Give. And then they show back up to Jesus a few moments later with two fish and five butter rolls. Now, family, there's a lot of things I don't know. There's a lot, there's a lot of things I don't know. But what I do know is two fish and five everything bagels. That's a pitiful attempt at feeding 5,000 people. That is a pitiful attempt at being obedient. That is a pitiful attempt at being faithful. You couldn't even feed the first three rolls in this church with two fish and five everything bagels. That is a pitiful attempt to feed 5,000. But here's what I need you to hear today. Are you ready for this? I need this to get in your spirit. Here's what I need you to hear. Our God is masterful at taking pitiful human attempts of obedience and turning them into powerful. Somebody say powerful. Powerful acts of renewal. Family, when Pastor Rick told me the scope of this vision and the amount of resources that he's believing God for, when he called me two weeks ago and said, uh, Kenny, we believe in God for 2.6 million, I was like, uh, I looked at the phone and thought to myself, did you, make, did you call him on person? You, you, you want me to come preach? You want me to come that Sunday? But then your pastor, being the incredible encourager that he is, paused for a second, and he said back in the phone, but Kenny, I'm not worried about a thing, because God has told me you are the man for the job. Well, I need you to hear the word of God to each and every one of you today. This vision is so much bigger than you. And it's easy to get overwhelmed to think about the nations and generations. It's easy to get overwhelmed thinking about $2.6 million. It's easy to get overwhelmed thinking about the, the, few, the next five years. Some of us are trying to just get to next week. Some of us are just trying to get to 2022. It, it's, it's easy to get overwhelmed when you think about all of that. But hear the word of God for every single person in this house today. You are the man and you are the woman for the job. You are the man and you are the woman for the job. 
God gave this church this vision because this is the church for the job. Do you believe that in faith? Let me hear you. So with that being said, I want to close on this. So what do we do? Well, the answer is right here in the text. The first thing we have to do in response to the harvest of God is pray earnestly. Scripture says the effectual and fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know, I had to throw in King's English just for Pastor Rick. That was just for you, Pastor Rick. The fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Whenever God gives you a calling that's beyond your ability, he uses prayer to create more capacity. See, prayer doesn't change God, it changes us. Prayer doesn't change God's vision, it creates greater capacity in us to fulfill it. Jesus knew that it didn't matter how plentiful the harvest was, if his disciples were not praying earnestly, the harvest would never get reaped. And here's the thing, we know how to pray earnestly. I mean, we know how to pray earnestly when our kids are acting up. Amen. Some of us are praying earnestly for a babysitter right now. We know how to pray earnestly when our loved ones get sick. We know how to pray earnestly when, when money gets funny. And we should pray earnestly in those moments. But when was the last time you prayed earnestly, not about what you wanted God to do in your house, but about what God wanted to do in his? Well, if you haven't for a while, today is, is the day. And here's the last thing I want to leave you with. Give generously. Give generously. Jesus said to his disciples, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. God isn't looking for amazing people that can feed 5,000 all by themselves. God is looking for average people. I'm an average person. God is definitely doing way more but way less when, he, when you look at me. He's looking for average people that's willing to offer the best that they have in faith because they believe that there's an amazing God who can multiply it to meet the needs of those around them. You may not know this, but your greasy bag of not enough that you have given to this church just over the course of your years here being faithful have been one of the major reasons why a four-year-old church in Harlem exists. Why there's hundreds and thousands of people virtually listening in and hundreds of people being impacted every week by a small little four-year-old church that you ain't going to meet none of them until you get to heaven. That God has already used your greasy bag of not enough to do something in the world that's more than enough. What God is calling you to today in faith is just give him your not enough and watch him make what's not enough more than enough. Do you believe that? Well, I want to close on this. The, 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 right after Jesus says the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, the Bible says, literally in the very next verse, Matthew 10, 1, the Bible says that Jesus called his 12 disciples and gave them authority. Somebody say authority. Do you realize that Jesus wants to give you authority? That Jesus doesn't just want you to believe some, tr some true things about him, but he wants you to give you real authority 
to do something that is bigger than you in this world. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Family, the same Jesus who healed every disease and every affliction now turns to his church, his followers, and he sends them out into the world to do the same. And do you know who these 12 people were? Do you, do you know who these 12, a group of ragtag fishermen, a shady tax collector, a thief that betrayed him, a political revolutionist, and a couple of power-hungry mama's boys. That was the church that Jesus sent out into the world. That was the group that started all this. If he could do that much with that group, who didn't have Google, smartphones, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever you guys are on, ClickClock, whatever y'all are on now, then what could he do with us? Hear the word of the Lord. Hill Church, this five-year vision is big, but God is bigger. And if you really believe that God is bigger, then I want you to bow with me today in faith and ask God to do something that only he could do. So Father God, we come before you today and we know we're asking you for a big thing. But we come in faith because, because we know we ask it from someone who's even bigger. God, may you do exceedingly abundantly above. Don't just meet our expectations. But do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ask or think. God, we may be believing you for 2.6, but you're bigger than that. May we not put a limit or cap what you want to do in this church. There is no ceiling to your calling. So pour out the windows of heaven and pour on this church a blessing that we cannot contain. And when you do it, we pray that you get all of the glory for it. And we thank you in advance for what you're about to do in the nations and generations. We ask all of these things in the matchless and marvelous name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen and amen.